Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 23. In this episode, we will be hearing from Stephen Vance as he continues his series with us in the Psalms. This time, he will be considering the teaching psalm of chapter 1. There are not only psalms of lament and royal psalms, but we have psalms that instruct us as well. How much do we cherish wisdom and instruction from God? We trust this episode will provide immediate help and that will cause us to seek the wisdom of God in every decision of our life. So we're continuing our our study in the Psalms and we're we're going back to the beginning uh, today to Psalm 1. We earlier looked at uh, psalms that are prayers, like the Refuge Psalm 46. Uh, we looked at uh, psalms of lament, the sad psalms, David's cry, my God, why did you forsake me, which was also a messianic psalm. And we looked at royal psalms that tell us of the, the glory of the king and particularly of our Lord. Now we want to go right back to the beginning to, to Psalm 1. And we're going to see that there are some psalms that are called teaching psalms. And in fact, the psalms opens in this way. Uh, the book of Psalms in the Hebrew Bible is part of what's called the wisdom literature that's showing people how they should live. And so we'll read this psalm together, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And it's really clear, like all wisdom uh, literature, that there's this idea of two paths, and there needs to be teaching on which way uh, to take. One of the, the key words with which this psalm opens, and which is common in the psalms, is this idea of the word blessed. Blessed. What kind of person is blessed? And through the Psalms, we'll read this. Psalm 32, blessed is the person who is forgiven. Psalm 34, blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. Uh, Psalm 41, blessed is the one who remembers uh, the poor. And so on. Psalm 128, blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Blessed are the undefiled. Psalm 119. And Psalm 144, blessed is that people whose God is the Lord. And so in this time of, of COVID uh, 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 testing, uh, we want to come back to this psalm to realize in a, in a pressure time, in a difficult time, how can we stay laser focused on seeking after wisdom and following God in the right way? Proverbs 3, also one of the pieces of wisdom literature, tells us that this is the, the goal of, of God, that we would be able to find wisdom. And so uh, this here uh, tells, us, tells us how we're going to, 
how we're going to do it. You'll remember, of course, that just like this psalm begins with a blessing, it's the same with Christ's ministry. It opens up with a, a blessing, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's one commentator in writing on this psalm who says you have a choice. Either you take the fast lane or the right path. And what we'd like to explore is what it means to be a righteous person. The psalm is divided in three uh, sections. The first three verses speak about the blessed person, the pattern of his life, the cause of that pattern, and the results. And we're going to see that this is, of course, our Lord, who is the ultimate blessed person, but it's also us. And then in verses 4 and 5, we have the wicked man. And again, the results of that person's life and the pattern of, of his life. And then the psalm closes with the Lord's perspective on the two. I want you to notice what wisdom is in this psalm. In, first, uh, in the first verse, I want you to see that wisdom involves carefully choosing who influences you. Carefully choosing who influences you. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. The psalmist starts out with the, the negative, blessed is the one who does not do this. And the reason for this likely is, is that all of us in our lives, we, we struggle. How do we avoid evil? And so this psalm starts in our present struggle of life and shows us how to move to a better place. There are three words used to describe people who do not follow God. There is the wicked, the wicked. And this is linked to people who are morally wrong and condemned for their actions and guilty uh, in court. Uh, and, and it's used, for example, of, of Ab Abraham says in Genesis 18, will you sweep away the, the righteous with the wicked? So some commentators see this as a sort of a term for people who are not believers in God and, and, and as a result, uh, do wrong things. The second word is the word sinners. Sinners, and this is the idea of being fallible, being inclined uh, to sin. And, and this is, is used many times, in, a number of times in the scriptures. It's used uh, for the, the, uh, in Numbers 16 for those who took the, uh, the censors uh, in the, uh, the uh, resistance of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and they were called uh, people who had sinned at the cost of their lives. So it's even God's people who take the wrong path. But it's also used of unbelievers, the people of Sodom, were great sinners before the Lord, Genesis 13, the same word. And then we have not just the wicked and the sinners, but the mockers. And this is the idea of people who disdain what is right. And of course, we've all as believers likely experienced this, and I hope we're uncomfortable with people who mock God and his things. So three types of sort of walking against God. Some people see this as three types of people, pagan unbelievers, the wicked, and believers who live contrary to God, sinners, and uh, believers who misguidingly attack the apparent faithless living of the psalmist. Whether that's quite that neat, I'm not, not sure, but certainly there are people who are not following the, the right way, and the psalmist says, blessed is the person who avoids that path. It's important to, to see that it is separation from ways, not people. To not walk in the counsel of the wicked 
or in the way with sinners, or in the seat of mockers. Being separate doesn't mean being separate from people. Christ is said in Hebrews 7 to be separate from sinners, and yet he was very comfortable with people, but he did not walk in their counsel or stand in their way or sit in their seat. And so God calls wise people to choose carefully who influences them and to avoid the influence of the ungodly. It's interesting in this verse as well that there seems to be a sort of a progression, a progression. It starts with walking in the counsel of the wicked and then standing in the way of sinners and then sitting in the seat of the scorners. And, and there seems to be a degeneration that implies an increasing participation in evil. It starts with walking in the counsel, getting advice from the wrong source. And then uh, uh, it says to stand in the way. This is sort of going on the path. There's activity. And then there is sitting in the seat of mockers. It's gathering, joining, and living. And so it shows us that if we do not avoid the influence of evil people, there will be a, an increasing participation in evil like it was uh, in the life of Samson. But there's also degeneration in decreasing mobility. The person starts by not walking, and then there is standing, and then there is being seated. And as we participate and allow ourselves to be influenced in bad ways, we will go from motion to being stationary for God. And so may this verse be an encouragement. Choose carefully who influences you. There's a contrast between the blessed righteous and the cursed wicked that starts right here in this passage. There are many wicked, but the Hebrew here is there is one righteous. Blessed is the man. And so in our society, with all kinds of influences against what is right, we are called to be that one, that one that stands for truth and godliness. But secondly... Wisdom is not just in verse 1, carefully choosing who influences you. It is also in verse 2, carefully choosing what informs you. Because the psalmist says, this man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If you'll remember what we said in another podcast, the Psalms were collated in the time of Ezra and God's people were reflecting back on the exile and how they got so far off the path. And the answer seems to be, turn back to the Torah, turn back to the law of God. And here in the Psalms, we have, uh, we have uh, the Torah of God in poetic form. The law, of course, is God's instruction. It's not legalism. It's the instructions of the Lord versus the questionable instructions of human beings that we saw in verse 1. This is not legalism. Uh, you know, we're often tempted to think badly of the law based on Paul's teaching in the New Testament. And of course, we know that Romans 3, by the works of the law, no one will be justified in God's sight. Romans 4, the law brings wrath. Romans 6, we are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 7 says that the law is able to incite our uh, sinful passions. And so we could develop a, a negative view of, of the law. But how do we reconcile this with a positive view of the law here? 
And then again, go to another psalm, another teaching psalm in Psalm 19, where we read these words. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. How do we put this together? Paul seems to have a negative view of the law. The psalmist seems to delight in the law. But I think Paul himself will give us the answer. In Romans 7, at the end of that chapter, he says in verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul didn't view the law as the enemy. He said it just was not the means of our justification. But his point was, was that once we are justified by grace, we delight in the law of the Lord. We want, we want to follow the Lord and we want to live under his instruction. The psalmist would equally have been against vain religion, an outer religion that had no heart for the Lord. And so Paul and the psalmist, I believe, are united in this regard. The point is, is that we need to carefully choose what informs us. Verse 1, we choose what influences us. But we also need to have uh, instruction that informs our heart and our mind. And the psalmist says, meditate on these things. Meditate on the law of the Lord. We're told in other parts of the scripture, we meditate on the Torah of God. Like, like God said to Joshua, you shall meditate on it day and night. We're also told in the Psalms that we, we meditate on the works of God. Psalm 77 and 12, I will ponder, I will meditate on all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And so we meditate on God's word and we meditate on God's work in our lives. And this source of godly information and counsel is part of what shapes us as a blessed person, as a blessed and godly person. So, we carefully choose who influences us, not the ungodly. We carefully choose what informs us, the law of the Lord. But in verse 3, we joyfully watch how God grows us. What does he say? This person is like a tree planted. And we have been planted by grace. Paul speaks so often about how he uses this botanical imagery to describe that we have been planted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so a tree planted by grace therefore brings forth fruit. There's a lot of allusions in this psalm made uh, in the Sermon on the Amount that we see reflections of it. So for example, Jesus teaches in Matthew 7 about believers and unbelievers. You will recognize them by their fruits. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You will recognize them by their fruits. And so because we've been planted in grace, God sees to it that the godly person produces fruit. But let's be careful of judgment. It says he produces fruit in his season. Jesus will later teach this. 
that the, the seed of the word produces different amounts of fruit in different people's lives, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. And as well, there are different seasons of life, Psalm 1 and 3 says. So, for example, Peter and Judas, for a brief period, looked very similar. One denied the Lord and one betrayed. And yet in the end, Peter proves himself to be a believer and Judas shows himself to be the traitor. A true believer may go through ups and downs, different levels of fruit, but in his season, he will bring forth fruit. And this fruit is not just planted from a tree planted by grace, known by its fruit in its season, but then it says it's fruit that endures. The leaf doesn't wither, and whatsoever he does prospers. Again, the Sermon on the Mount refers to this. Jesus speaks about treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, but treasures in heaven that are enduring. This is the result of a blessed person, a godly person's life. There is enduring fruit. And so the contrast between the blessed righteous and the cursed wicked is continued. There are many wicked contrasted with one righteous. In verse 1, there is the advice of sinners contrasted with the commandments of the Lord. We saw that in verse 2, but now there's a luscious tree. And we're going to see that it is contrasted with the dry chaff of the wicked. In this time of isolation, this prosperity is something I've been thinking about. And I hope that all of us, we are able to put our roots deep into God, that, that whatever we are doing is prosperous. Jesus spoke about this in the Sermon on the Mount, to be that we're blessed when we are persecuted. And so even when we're in a difficult time, we can experience the blessing of the Lord and the prosperity of the Lord. John spoke about this in 3 John. Gaius was in a, a church where there was a diatrophies, but he prays and he says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And so in a difficult time in the church or in the world, our roots can go deep. Like the Lord Jesus, the root out of the dry ground. And in a dry situation, we can produce fruit for God. So we've learned in this section what wisdom is. Carefully choosing who influences you. Carefully choosing what informs you but joyfully watching how God grows you. And I believe this gives us the springboard for understanding how we are motivated to follow God. You will be motivated to follow God when you remember that your success is guaranteed. You're planted in grace. He's going to bring fruit from your life at his season. But not only is our success guaranteed, verse 4 speaks about the wicked, and we learn this, that the success of the wicked is temporary. The success of the godly is guaranteed, but verse 4, the success of the wicked, it's like the chaff. And you imagine that grain being thrown up into the air, and the grain that is heavy is able to fall to the ground, but the, the chaff that is light is, is blown worthless, burned in destruction. And the psalmist says this is the portion of the wicked. But not only am I motivated and are you motivated to follow God when we remember verse 3 that your success is guaranteed, 
in verse 4 that the success of the wicked is temporary, but in verse 5, we discover that the standing of the wicked is impossible. They're going to fall. They're not going to stand in the congregation of the righteous. And for the first time in the psalm, we have this word righteous. The blessed person struggling throughout this psalm to stay away from evil and to follow hard after the commands of the Lord. Now that person has found their company. They're found in the assembly of the righteous. And you may feel in this time very much alone, but God is bringing you to his congregation. And so be motivated to follow God, remembering verse 3 that your success is guaranteed. While the success, verse 4, of the wicked is temporary, and the standing, verse 5, of the wicked is impossible. But most important, remember verse 6, the approval of the Lord on your life is inevitable. Verse 6, the Lord knows he watches over the way of the righteous. This is a lovely, lovely phrase. The word know speaks of intimate knowledge, observation, care, recognition. It's even the word that's sometimes used in the Old Testament for sexual relationships, a man knowing a woman. It's an intimate knowledge. And here it's that sense of closeness and intimacy between the righteous person and God. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. My sister, my brother, your value comes by being known by the Lord. Yes, you are distinguished by your actions, avoiding the counsel of the wicked, and by your habit of immersed in God's word. The most important thing is that we are distinguished by the actions of the Lord towards us. Not what we do for him, but what he does for us. Grace. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. You're probably familiar with Mark Hall's song that makes this point so beautifully. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? would care to feel my hurt. Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of what I am, of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I am yours. That's who we are. We are yours. That's our name. That's our identity. We don't have identity in ourselves. We have identity connected to him. Mark continues, Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am 
a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I am yours. The Lord watches over. He knows the way. Let me end this meditation with one last thing. Two phrases in verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And we've already traced that we get our significance, not from ourselves, but from him. But you'll notice that the wicked, it says, the way of the wicked will perish. The righteous are the object of the sentence. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. We find our strength and sustenance and significance in him. The way of the wicked, they are the subject of that sentence. They try to autonomously say, I will determine my own significance. But the psalmist says it's all for nothing. The way of the wicked will perish. I'd like to close with a poem You've probably heard it. It's called Invictus. It was written by William Ernest Henley. When he was 16 years old, his left leg uh, needed to be amputated from, uh, from complications from tuberculosis. And in the 1870s, he was starting to have problems with his other leg, and he, he discovered that maybe it would require a similar procedure. And so this was very difficult. He went in 1873 to an English servant, uh, surgeon, Joseph Lister, who was able to save his remaining leg. And so it was while he was recovering in this difficult situation that he had fought through that he wrote these words, Invictus. Sort of a reminder of sort of Victorian stoicism, the stiff upper lip of self-discipline and fortitude. Listen to the words. Out of the night, that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Invictus. This is the, the, the spirit of autonomy of self-determination. I will not crack. I will be my own boss. Very similar to the wicked here in this psalm that we've been studying, though we understand the difficulty that Henley went through. Dorothy Day, however, was a, a, an anarchist, an activist, that came uh, to Christ. She had lived a bohemian lifestyle, but she, she came uh, to Christ and she actually wrote a parody of Invictus that she called Conquered. And I think it's very, very beautiful. Listen. Listen to the godly tones in this poem. Out of the light 
that dazzles me. Bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. Since his the sway of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud. Under the rule which men call chance, my head with joy is humbly bowed. Beyond this place of sin and tears, that life with him and his the aid, that spite the menace of the years, keeps and will keep me unafraid. I have no fear. Though straight the gate, he cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. What a difference. When we know the Lord and we submit to his sovereignty and we rejoice how difficult it may be in his purposes, and we see whatever else happens in our life, this is what matters. His evaluation, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall never. So there you have it. The fast lane or the right way. This is the choice that we face in all times in our life, and particularly in a time of pressure. What way will we go? Will we continue to follow the way of wisdom, the teaching of this psalm, and the way that God wants us to go? Remember that wisdom is carefully choosing who influences you, not the ungodly. Carefully choosing what informs you, the law of the Lord, and then joyfully watching how God grows you motivating you to follow him more as you see that your success is guaranteed while the success of the wicked is so temporary like the chaff. The standing of the wicked is impossible. They will fall. But for you, the approval of the Lord is inevitable. He knows you. He loves you. You are his. The Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will be.